If you like this podcast, we think you'll love reading our print quarterly. It's called, you guessed it, Gravy. You can subscribe to Gravy by becoming an SFA member at southernfoodways.org or purchase a copy through our friends at Hub City Press in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Visit hubcity.org to order the current issue. In the coming months, you might see Gravy on the shelf at your local bookstore. Ask your bookseller to stock it. SFA thanks Hub City Press for helping us serve more gravy. What do Spam, Vienna sausages, and imported chocolate have to do with Christmas? Everything if you're from the Philippines. In this episode of Gravy, we learn what it means to celebrate Christmas the Filipino way. And that means balakbayan boxes. I'm Melissa Hall. I'm Mary Beth Lassiter. You're listening to Gravy. 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 A production of the Southern Foodways Alliance, Gravy tells the stories of the changing American South. Katie Jane Fernelius is driving this sleigh. It's Christmas time, the time of year when we line up at the post office to mail packages full of wrapped gifts, when we stuff stacks of holiday cards into already overflowing collection boxes, and, if we're able to, when we travel long distances to see loved ones. To some of us, mailing gifts, sending cards, hectic holiday travel, they all seem just customary, something we do because... That's what people do and have done during the holidays. But in the Philippines, sending gifts home, even traveling home for Christmas, is not just customary. It's a state policy called Balik Bayan. Balik Bayan has become an umbrella term for all sorts of efforts by the government of the Philippines to encourage the millions of Filipino citizens working overseas to return home and spend their hard-earned money. And if they're unable to make it back home, well, then they can send something called a bleak buy-in box in their place. And it would be larger than me as a kid, and it felt like Christmas. Um, And then when you open it, the smell, I always thought like, oh, that's what, you know, out of the country smells like. When Royal Sumikat was a little girl living in the Philippines, she would receive bleak buy-in boxes from her dad, who was working as an engineer out of the country. He couldn't necessarily afford to travel home regularly, but he would send Balik Bayan boxes in his place. And these boxes would always be packed full of treats. And it was always like chocolates, um, imported chocolates that I would be really excited about. Do you remember what type of chocolates? Oh my gosh, Ferrero Rocher, Toblerones. Toblerones were the best. The nuggets, you know, the Hershey's nuggets, those were... You know, I love the toffee and almond one. And my dad would wrap it really well because, you know, in the heat, it would melt quickly. (laughs) So, and it's hot in the Philippines. Bleak buying boxes were boxes that could be shipped completely tax-free, so long as everything fit inside the box and met the acceptable weight limits. So, Filipinos working overseas would often stuff these boxes to the brim with all sorts of foreign goods. Tubes of toothpaste, packs of pantyhose, bulk bottles of shampoos and conditioners, sneakers, hand-me-downs, boxes of pencils and crayons, as-seen-on-TV kitchen gadgets, and lots of canned food. 
spam, of course. Corned beef is huge. Um, there's this corned beef that I really love. It's like New Zealand corned beef, and I it, it's the best. I got my there's even a viral YouTube video about this by Filipino comedian Mikey Bustos. But to better understand why the government of the Philippines instituted the bleak buying program, including the boxes, and how it impacted Filipinos like Royal and led to her lifelong love of corned beef, you first need to understand the relationship between the Philippines and the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. And that relationship really begins with the Spanish-American War. Let me go back to the days when Admiral Dewey won the Battle of Manila Bay and American sovereignty was established over the islands. Now, the Spanish had colonized the Philippines for over 300 years. But the people of the Philippines resisted that rule. And in 1897, they revolted against the Spanish Empire. Around the same time, the people of Cuba were also staging a revolution against the Spanish Empire in their country. And the United States sent a naval blockade to protect Cuba and its tobacco and sugar plantations. This blockade prompted Spain to declare war against the United States. In short, the United States expanded its military missions beyond Cuba and ended up fighting the Spanish in both the Caribbean and the Pacific. In the Philippines, U.S. officials partnered with revolutionaries there, promising them independence when the war was over. But when Spain ceded the territories to the United States in 1898, the U.S. broke that promise and instead decided to assume rule of the Philippines itself. Again, the people of the Philippines resisted outside colonial rule and fought to establish their own independent republic. Thus commenced the Philippine-American War. There were, by some estimates, at least 20,000 military casualties and 200,000 civilian casualties. The United States declared victory over the Philippines in 1902, and the U.S. would continue to colonize the Philippines in some capacity until 1946. I like to think that the history of the Philippine Islands in the last 44 years provides in a very real sense a pattern for the future of other small nations and peoples of the world. So when the Spanish were in the Philippines, one of the ways that they controlled the Philippines was by not giving them education. The Americans were the opposite. The way they were going to control the um, Filipinos was by giving them education. Jade Alboro is a librarian at UCLA who focuses on the study of Southeast Asia and the Pacific Islands. She wrote her master's thesis on bleak buy-in boxes. She also grew up in the Philippines herself. She draws a straight line from U.S. colonialism to the bleak buy-in program. And point A for her is the education systems that the U.S. put into place in the Philippines. Like education is great, obviously, but 
a lot of that is like Americans are superior, American goods are superior. America is the land of milk and honey and the American dream, you know, so there was a lot of that going on. But also a lot of it was to like inculcate Filipinos with the fact that American goods are superior so that they can create a market for American goods in the Philippines. This is the Philippines, our land of beauty, rich in age-old customs. Long ago, long before the war, the taste and quality of Coca-Cola won its way into the hearts of everyone and continues today to be an accepted, desired, refreshing custom of people everywhere throughout the land. In fact, throughout the world. Yes, there was Coca-Cola. But there was also Spam, Vienna sausages, corned beef. Canned goods like these first came into the country through American occupation. But they became even more popular and widespread throughout the Philippines during and after World War II. Jade says to include canned goods in a bleak buy-in box is to include foods that, at one point in time, were seen by Filipinos as a symbol of aspiration, prestige, power, of America. So that it became associated by Filipinos as these are American goods. These are, um, these are good because they're from America. And so even though Americans here these days wouldn't care about it, for Filipinos it's still like, this is a symbol of America, the canned goods. But the contents of the bleak buy-in box are not the only thing that shows American influence in the Philippines. In fact, the bleak buy-in program itself speaks to a more complicated and enduring relationship between the two countries, especially as more and more Filipinos came to the United States for work. And this impacted not just what was in the box, but everything that the bleak buying box came to mean for Filipino families. When we come back, we'll learn how and when the Philippines Balak Bayan program got its start. But first, Got a cast iron cook on your gifting list this holiday season? A piece from Lodge Cast Iron's Blacklock line of premier cookware will delight them. Named after the original Lodge foundry, Blacklock blends over 125 years of heritage with a seasoned surface and lightweight design. Whether a skillet, a grill pan, a Dutch oven, or a griddle, Blacklock's craftsmanship ensures generations of use. Find Blacklock cookware online at LodgeCastIron.com or at your favorite local cookware store. For Lodge's support of great meals and good cooks this holiday season, and also their ongoing support of this podcast, we thank them. Before the break, we learned about the Balik Bayan Box, which overseas Filipino workers would send to their families in the Philippines. These boxes typically included treats like Spam, Coca-Cola, and Toblerone, And we learned about how America colonized the Philippines, leading to a demand for these American goods. But how exactly did the Balik Bayan program get started? Well, in 1965, Ferdinand Marcos was inaugurated as president of the Philippines. 
Over the course of his presidency, Marcos would indebt the country and ultimately institute martial law. I have received hundreds and hundreds of telegrams from all corners of the Philippines congratulating you and incidentally me for the proclamation of martial law, for the sudden cessation of anarchy and of criminality throughout the land. When unemployment skyrocketed under Marcos, his government instituted a program to try to get Filipino workers jobs overseas. Many of those workers went to the Middle East in the wake of the oil boom there, but hundreds of thousands also went to the United States, which had recently opened its doors to more immigrants. In 1965, the United States passed the Immigration and Nationality Act. This act got rid of country-based quotas and gave preference to immigrants who had family in the States or who were skilled workers. For Filipinos, who had American schooling in their own country, the United States was a desirable option. They could put their professional skills and English language fluency to immediate use. This era in immigration drove a lot of Filipinos, especially women, to cities like Houston, Texas, where many were quickly employed as nurses. And as the oil industry grew there, it brought engineers from the Philippines as well. With thousands of workers overseas, Marcos and the government of the Philippines needed to figure out a strategy for assuaging concerns over martial law. They also hoped to convince overseas workers to spend their American dollars in the Philippines, even if they no longer lived there full-time. Though whether this latter effect worked is debatable. So they created this Balik Bayan program. So Balik means um, return and Bayan means to the country. So uh, Balik Bayan is like a returning native but uh, because they're mostly immigrants to the U.S., um, this return is not permanent. It's like a visit, you know. So they're encouraging everybody to visit, and they did that by offering incentives. Those incentives included tax incentives, hotel discounts, decreased airfares on Philippine airlines, and very generous baggage allowances. When it initially started, they were building on um, the Filipinos' nostalgia for their family, but also for traditions. And so I think they initially started it around Christmas time and they had sent a lot of invitation to the traditional Philippine Christmas. And they asked students to like write to relatives to come home for Christmas. And then um, the Department of Transportation encouraged towns and cities to really, really play up this, you know, traditional Filipino Christmas and, and play up the customs that we grew up with. Christmas is a big deal in the Philippines. Many families attend a dawn mass, send their children caroling around the neighborhood, and decorate their homes with perils. Christmas is my favorite holiday, and I think it's because I am Filipino. And I think, like, it was special for us because, like, we are Catholic. And I think for a lot of Catholic countries, Christmas is incredibly, like, a big deal. For the Marcos government to connect Balik Bayan boxes to Christmas was to make sending Balik Bayan boxes not just part of your duty to your country, but also part of religious and family rituals. However, over the years... 
bleak buying boxes have become less of a specifically Christmas tradition and more of a year-round practice, though they're still the most popular at Christmas. According to some estimates, somewhere between 5 and 7 million bleak buying boxes arrive in the Philippines each year. Still, you know, it's an ongoing practice. It's, um, it's popularity continues. And it's not just a U.S. thing anymore. So anywhere where there's a lot of Filipinos, their Balik Bayan boxes exist and there's shipping companies that ship to the Philippines. But as Jade's own research has shown, Balik Bayan boxes are about so much more than the American goods they carry. They might also carry photos, letters, even cassette tapes. Royal remembers the tapes her parents sent back and forth to each other. It was like between the 70s and 80s, and my parents would send uh, the tapes back to each other, back and forth, along with letters. My dad would send it with bullock buying boxes. And these are cassette tapes that um, they recorded their voice on. Why did your parents send tapes to each other? Because uh, long-distance phone calls were incredibly expensive and unreliable back then, which was fascinating because their communication was never in real time. And so my mom saved a lot of those tapes, and I feel like, oh, what a, tra- it was like traveling back in time listening to it, because I heard myself as a baby singing my ABCs to my dad. He heard us, like, cooing and babbling as babies until we were, like, singing our ABCs, and he just heard us grow up on these voice tapes. Royal says it was hard for her dad, who lived an ocean away from them, to hear her and her brother growing up on these tapes. It was proof that they were growing up without him. Eventually, he brought Royal, her brother, and her mom to Saudi Arabia, where he was working. Later, when he got a job in Houston, Texas, they all moved with him again. And Royal still lives in Houston today. As an adult, Royal has listened back to those old cassette tapes that her parents sent each other in those bleak buy-in boxes. And she's struck by something she didn't quite remember from her own childhood. Growing up, it felt like life seemed very normal. There was no choice but to live life normally. These tapes record Royal as a child, singing about a garden or a lost balloon. But her mom describes neighborhood patrols, tattooed gang members, a squatter whose motorized tricycle is stolen. She admits she is scared of going out at night. On his tapes, her dad says he's working overtime. He wants to build their savings. He watches the news from afar. He sees the headlines about the economic crisis in the country. He wonders whether the prices of groceries are going up. Should he send more money back home for them? Will they be okay? Revisiting these tapes transformed how Royal saw her childhood and the large bleak buying boxes that brought her Toblerone and corned beef. Growing up, you know, my parents are telling me all these hardships, but I felt okay, you know, like my childhood seemed 
normal and and that just means that my parents did a really good job and worked really hard to keep us from experiencing the hardships that they faced we still had birthdays they still had parties because it's like what are we supposed to do it wasn't like it was filipino people's choice to leave the country to to find better opportunities it was built that way you know the country was destabilized so there was no choice but for filipinos to be the export and labor to go to all these different countries so they were the ones that were sending money back and um you know boxes back and so this was kind of like a concession like okay we've sent you away and you're separate from your family now but here is a tax-free option for you to um, send things back home to them so it's not so difficult. Today, Royal's an artist. Though she grew up receiving bleak buying boxes from her dad, now that she lives in Houston, she's the one mailing her own boxes to relatives back home in the Philippines. And Royal actually made an exhibit inspired by the bleak buying box and all that it represented to her family which showed in a gallery hosted by the Asia Society in Houston. And so what I did was, um, it's eight foot by eight foot box. You can walk into it and like I lined it up with paper. I taped it up with the same kind of packing tape that you would see in a balik buying box. And then I added boxes that you would receive. Like I brought chocolate. I added corned beef in it, like diapers um clothes old clothes that i no longer use there's like a virgin mary at the front of it because uh, my grandma's matron deity was the virgin mary and then i put candles everywhere they're led candles and then there's pictures that i have uh clipped all over the walls of the balik bayan box there's a lot of pictures where my mom did um you know the 10 second timer and it's just me and my brother and my mom and so you can tell whenever my dad was gone you know um and then there's pictures of my dad doing mundane things like hey look I'm ironing is this how you do it you know <laughs> like he was just doing his own stuff um and so it's basically an altar to my family's migratory experience so immigration um displaces people and it displaces the relationships they have with their loved ones um, how do I feel about them? Um, I mean, I appreciate the fact that, you know, this, we have this vehicle to send goods to the Philippines in a cheap way, which was is just important to me now, to send goods to the Philippines and if people needed things or to show them that we care. But for me now um, that I'm older, I don't know, I think... I'm a little bit more analytic or a little bit more critical about the whole practice. Jade knows that the Bleak Bind program was cooked up by the Marcos dictatorship as quasi-propaganda for martial law, and that U.S. colonialism set the stage for both the desire for American goods and the mass exodus of Filipino workers. But in her research, she found that for many people, Sending Balik buy-in boxes remains an important form of caring for loved ones and a way to stay connected to the Philippines, even if they live abroad. Well, and the, and the thing is, because Balik buy-in boxes are such a Filipino thing that it's kind of become its own identity. And so people are not going to 
go away from that now because now it's like part of the culture and it's just like it's part of the history and so much of the history in the Philippines the recent history is all about migration right Mm -hmm. so whether or not it's a marketing scheme it still fulfills a basic need that migrants and immigrants need to do and practice so that they feel closer to the family that they left behind. Like for Christmas this year, we actually did send a box because of the pandemic. I figured, well, it might be nice to send them something. And so we did. So I'm like, okay, what would these people like? You know, so, you know, we did send them the kangaroos and we did send them the chocolates. One of the people that we sent the stuff to said, oh, why is it that the, the stuff that we send, like the boxes that we send, why does it smell like America? And I'm just like, what does that even mean? <laughs> what does America smell like? Reported and produced by Katie Jane Fernelius. Her audio production credits include work for The New School, The Knight Foundation, and the BBC World, just to name a few. We thank Wendell Patrick for Gravy's theme music, Jazar for our donor music. Katie King makes sure all our facts are in order for every episode. Managing editor for Gravy and all other SFA media is Sarah Camp Milam. Visit southernfoodways.org to learn more about the mission and work of the SFA. Great writing, compelling films, and intriguing stories from every corner of the South await. And while you're there, consider becoming a member or making a donation. I'm Mary Beth Lassiter. I'm Melissa Hall. Excited to lap up another episode of Gravy? Tell a friend. Pass the gravy boat. There's plenty to go around. <laughs>